Welcome to Happy Times and Places, this podcast that I almost put out without adding this opening salvo. That's how important it is. It's a podcast. I watch Doctor Who. I have to choose some good things about the episode I'm watching that have been chosen by a friend of mine. Hello, Toby, and anyone who's watching or listening to this. Uh, my name's Michael Dennis. I'm a writer and stage manager. Thank you for inviting me in. The story I've chosen for you to watch is The Macra Terror. Well, welcome to Happy Times and Places. It's time for episode two of The Macra Terror, the story that has been chosen by Michael Dennis, uh, with whom I've communicated over many years, but we've never actually met. Uh, he has, uh, by coincidence, worked with my other half, but I think you get a sense that... Uh, you have something in common with uh, with people, uh, even if you've not met in the flesh. So Michael and I are simpatico in terms of our work and contacts and that sort of thing. In our tastes, well, uh, not so far. I nearly chose, but for, for very different reasons. No, for the same reasons, but I thought there was some text to it. The same thing as he did uh, for episode one. So, will we choose the same thing uh, about episode two? The chances are very slight. I never win this, uh, but it's uh, it's more about the journey than the destination, isn't it? It's, it's very tantric in that way. Uh, so, I have the Blu-ray of uh, the Macrotera, the animated version, which means that I am going on to episode reconstructions. Uh, and I am on the episode menu that has that uh, lack of a space after the dash after episode one before play with duration, which will haunt me for all time. Uh, I am going to play it without narration, as is my want. There's only one person talking over this, and it's me. Uh, so... Um, and the reason I'm not doing the animation, just to recap, uh, is because the animation is a thing, uh, you know, with with various things that will pull me towards talking about the animation. Whereas I, uh, I'm going to try and talk about the story um, as originally broadcast as close as I possibly can. The animation, by the way, is excellent. I think they've done an absolutely fantastic job. Uh, beautiful work on the macro, um, which we're going to see the real version of. Uh, the you know the the version from back in 1967. So uh, let's have a look right now at the Macra Terror in three, two, one. Yeah, I didn't mention, did I, uh, uh, that this is the first because in fact. Early on in the early murky days of Doctor Who history, it was always uh, rumoured, well, and it was in Peter Haining's Key to Time book, a mistake in a Peter Haining book. I'm going to do a podcast about those because I'm not sure mistake is the right word. Anyway, uh, that the face of the Doctor first appeared in The Faceless Ones. doesn't, it appears, uh, on the Macra Terra. But uh, we didn't know that for quite some time. Love this uh, uh, music of Dudley Simpson's, this heavy organ stuff. Um, so there we go. There's the there's the macra. Uh, 
And the other rumour was that for years, um, because when this was, as I say, the first I ever saw of this was the picture of the controller with the claw uh, about to about to pull him uh, away at the end of episode two. Uh, and then when they did the DWM archive, um, or then when I saw the DWM archive in a back issue, I think the issue preceded the 20th anniversary special. Anyway, when I got my hands on a copy of the DWM that had the archive. It was illustrated with that picture, lovely, um, and lots of shots, or the two publicity shots that were taken uh, and used of uh, Peter Jeffrey as the pilot and Gerton Clauber, here he is, as uh, doing a very deliciously snide turn as Ola, the chief of police. Uh, he's a sort of uh, rather portly, pompous, power-hungry bully uh, of... Uh, of of the kind that these dramas are for that are good value to these dramas. He's an ass basically. Uh, but, um, Gerton Clauber does a nice job. Gerton Clauber having been the galley master in, uh, episode two of the Romans, uh, as a nod to his role in, uh, uh in the carry on film. Although he's not like, again, it was supposed to, it, the, the, we were told by Duke two celebration that he was, he was playing, uh, in in the Romans, he was playing the galley master as he played in the Carry On film, but he doesn't play the galley master. He is he is one of Marcus or Spencius, the shopkeepers, isn't he? But he's not. But anyway, doesn't matter. Um, uh, it's a long time ago, and it was less easy to check these things. I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't looked it up uh, ages and ages ago when I was doing the commentary for the Romans. But that's a whole other story, and probably when we're doing that for this. I'll do that anecdote again. That's bad, isn't it? But Peter Jeffrey, of course, is the uh, is the main guest star who uh, I believe told the director John Davis that uh, he he sort of did it because his kids didn't really believe he was an actor um, until he'd uh, until he'd done a Doctor Who. My ex-wife actually then worked uh, worked with his daughter sometime after he died, and uh, and I sent her all the bits from Running Through Corridors where I eulogise Peter Jeffrey because he's brilliant. There's not much to eulogise here. The pilot is not much of a part, it has to be said. That it's, 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 uh, it's cast up, really, because uh, uh, it, it doesn't, it does, it's not asking too much of Peter Jeffrey. Um, you know, he's great. He stands there and he's good and he's... Uh, uh, and, 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 you know, he's got the, he's got the, the proper charm and decency that the that the pilot and the face of the colony needs to have and he's got a great face which is good and there's a lovely telesnap there that that suggest can suggest in a darkness and turmoil at the flick of an acting switch um but he's you he's much more value in uh, the androids of tara whereas count grendel he is one of the great doctor who villainous turns and i absolutely love him and i cannot wait to do the androids of tara um oh and i love this turn where where i love this relationship actually that the doctor has with me doc where they they sort of gradually win each other over and even you know the doctor said to the pilot i, I hope you're not going to believe everything that me doc says so he's obviously not quite convinced uh that he's he's uh he he, he and me doc are, 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 are on the same side as it were uh, but me doc comes in and and me doc who of course is is 
uh, you know, the portrayal and the writing suggests he is slightly um, damaged, you know, so therefore he's not entirely reliable uh, as an ally because he's, um, you know, he's, he's, he's been left slightly uh, unhinged by um, the fact that he knows about the macra. Uh, and the fact that nobody believes him, and the suggestion, as uh, uh, you know, in the in the in the they're not tortures the interrogation scenes that you know he's he's been pretty much through the mill, um, but I, I love the fact that that makes the doctor very sympathetic with him, um, and Troughton plays all that stuff very well, that sort of uncertain allyship, and then I love that bit where, you know, I can exactly imagine how Troughton looks at him when he's when he's pretending that the doctor was in fact coming to take him in Troughton will have given him a sort of tacit I know what you're doing there mate and I'm grateful whilst also presenting a face to uh the pilot and to Ola that yeah he's he's going along with that story and he's totally surprised and bloody bloody blah you know he's he's very good at that face of his is very good and you I can imagine what he does but also I know that there'll be loads of facial expressions in this episode that uh, we can only dream of. Um, and this is Graham Lehman as the controller, but the voice is not Graham Lehman. The voice is Dennis Gocher, who figures quite heavily in um, Kenneth Williams's diaries. Uh, they were mates. They worked together quite young. And I think Kenneth Williams initially didn't take to him. Uh, I don't think Kenneth Williams takes to a lot of people very quickly. But then they actually develop a friendship and they were friends for, for they were friends for life. Uh, and Gocha survived Williams and, and actually crops up in a documentary about him um, very briefly. So we can see what Gocha looks like. Well, I've got spotlight pictures of him too. Um, uh, but but Graham Lehman is the controller who we will who is in those photos. I love this. There is no such thing as macro. Macro do not exist. And this is well done on the on the reconstruction. Um, and I'm I'm I wonder, I'm assuming I'm assuming the camera, you know, c cut to the close up of this impassive Big Brother face as well. And I love that and the way that the music kicks in. But I love the whole litany of there's no such thing as macro because that's daring a society, isn't it? That's saying we have a name for something that doesn't exist well if it if it doesn't exist how come there's a name for it and it's it's sort of asking you to do double think it's asking you to be orwellian with yourself to go well i acknowledge that there's this terrible thing but to fit into this colony i have to put it into my mind and absolutely thoroughly believe you know how many fingers am i holding up do you know do you see macro no i do not uh and, and i think that's absolutely brilliant um there is no such thing as macro is a very simple sentence but it it means so much because it means you're you're contradicting yourself within what you're saying this thing that i have a name for absolutely does not exist <laughs> uh, and yet we have to keep mentioning it to stop you saying that it exists for why well, because it exists uh this lulling sleep stuff is good the voice is richard beale uh, who is the voice of the refusions in the ark his uh, Bat Masterson, that's his best part in Doctor Who, Bat Masterson in The Gunfighters. And then he's the Minister of Ecology in The Green Death, the one C part. He was a great friend of Michael Bryant, but he was a good voice man, had a lovely deep voice. Uh, he was quite a... 
he was quite a glass, glass half full kind of guy from my brief experience of him but I found him very entertainingly curmudgeonly and I fought to get him on the gunfighters commentary because uh, I knew he was still around and I was he was 90 by then but he was still working he was still acting he was still acting uh, in his in his 90s he was still ringing and I remember I was coming back from a gig in Liverpool and listening to any answers on the radio on the Sunday morning and uh, and he called in and was talking about the Russian seamen he'd served with in the war and he's written a book about his wartime service uh one man's war and he lived to be 94 96 he only died last year year before a couple of years ago as i record this uh and had only retired from acting a couple of years prior to that um uh, and a wonderful deep voice he had and uh, and and he was a bit of a regular in in eastenders and i believe he could have been in that longer but he wanted to spend time with his boat great man of the sea that's richard beale who plays the propaganda voice you know the one that lures them into sleep uh and of course jamie and ben uh and polly jamie uh, she wasn't supposed to be in this here's ben poor old ben in his let's not forget this is a this is a good story for ben and polly and they're gone next story and not even at the end of next story, I know their last scenes in episode six of the Faceless Ones, but they get hoofed in episode two. So this is really their 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 swan song. And there's no sign that these are companions um, on their way out. And I, I'm sure I've said it before. I think that the loss of Ben and Polly, and it's no offence to Fraser Hines, who is a, a an iconic and wonderful uh, uh, Doctor Who companion in Jamie. I just wish maybe there'd be a stretch of stories between Power of the Daleks and the Highlanders, where, where Ben and Polly could could have adventures with the, the second Doctor. Um, uh, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't want to trade in any of the other stories, so maybe we'd have to have an extra year of Patrick Troughton. Oh, what a shame that would be. <laughs> I love him. Um, but I, I just... Uh, I just think Ben and Polly, they're, they're, they're really good actors. Uh, they, have a, they have a nice rapport. I think they're good characters, you know, and they could have done... I think they could have done a lot more with them. The promise they show in the war machines is is so strong, and and I, I'm assuming Ben, because Medoc gets off in episode three. I'm assuming that maybe in the original, uh, some of what Ben does in part four is what Medoc would would normally have done. I've got no proof for that. Uh, I've got no proof for quite a few things I might say in this uh, because uh, a lot of it is guesswork. Um, but did I say yes? Did I say at the beginning, in terms of the, uh, d yes, that you may have had some heard some advice. Do this, do that, do the other. My advice to you: don't do anything of the sort. I love that, and always question, you know, and and that's important in this story to say always question the veneer. But I, I, you know, the principle underneath that of going always, always question what you're being told. People don't necessarily have your. Uh, now I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't have even qualified this 20 years ago absolutely always think and rebel against authority as i get older i go well you know within reasons obey traffic laws and don't litter um so <laughs> your anarchistic streak always goes when you when you when you're paying your council tax <laughs> but of course maybe that's what that's how they're screwing me down um okay um but uh I, and, and i think michael craze acts this uh uh this uh uh, uh, ben being taken over very well uh, uh and and uh and i like that he's he's he, he and, and the way that he repeats the mantras 
of of the colony is 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 very good it's like he sort of learnt it by rote but there's also a sense of a slight inner battle going on it's uh, it's a well pitched performance from from michael craze who i think was who i think was good um but yes i was talking about the the photos of peter jeffrey and gerton clauber in the uh uh in the dwm and there was no picture of the macro apart from the claw coming to hoik the controller out um and for many years there was a sort of rumor or an understanding that there actually weren't no macro there was no photographic evidence of the macro and i remember the first time i saw the, the one picture this is way before telesnaps were even a oh were, were, were even uh, when, when, when the collection of telesnaps was less than half its present size when we didn't even conceive that they could exist um, there's a picture of one picture of the macro taken outside Shawcraft, isn't there? So it's not even a picture of it doing stuff in the story. And you, I do sort of think now, you're doing a Doctor Who story about giant crabs, uh, and and you arrange a photo shoot for. I love Peter Jeffrey, and I'm very fond of Gerton Clauber, but you think you've got a giant crab in the studio, and and nobody's going to take like tons of pictures of that and kenneth sharp the designer there's loads of pictures the frame wonderful uh magazine that came out sometimes later when fan scholarship uh, went up a notch uh, and they interviewed kenneth sharp the designer and he'd got lots of pictures of the set so we've got lots of lovely pictures of sort of pipes on walls and stuff still no picture of the big crab um which i i wonder suggests that nobody was terribly proud of it um uh, oh i can see that guard is steve emerson um who's who's uh who like kenneth sharp uh turns up again in the claws of axos keith em steve oh now um steve emerson is one of the guards the unit soldiers that gets offed in episode three when the axon man is uh charging around the uh complex it's uh, him and derek martin anyway um this scene i know that john davis said was all his own work this interrogation of uh uh of of me doc where it's supposed to be i think just a so he's got him on this revolving uh plinth uh and there looks to be a sort of white coated uh doctor there with a, a bit of a comb over and some glasses now that's a that's a non-speaking uh extra character but it's a it's a nice little bit of so i suspect that was one of those scenes that J john davis said a director who we have no work in doctor who to go off um but but fr from what i understand from that you know the bits of paper that he had to direct um it, he he made a lot of changes a lot of uh, tried to tried to up the scale or up the the tempo or up the the atmosphere that that and that throbbing atmosphere i think is very much what john davis brought to it and i'm i'm st still in touch with john davis i'm slightly perplexed because he uh, he agreed to do my who's round and was very very lovely uh and then didn't want to do the DVD commentary. And we tried to persuade him. And he just couldn't make the connection between what he did and the animation. He was going, but this that has nothing to do with me. So it's like, well, because we use the soundtrack. But And he wasn't unpleasant. And I've spoke, had long conversations on him with the phone, on the phone since about other stuff. Um, and he's helped me out with a couple of things. And, um, uh, but we just didn't get him for, for the dvd at all uh and I'm, i still to this day don't quite know because i don't do any of that i just you know give addresses and numbers i'm not i'm not a producer or anything like that but i certainly said you know invoke if, you know if, if john wants to talk about it and be and 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 and, and uh 
you know wants what w- w- wants to to run it by anybody uh, you know I'll I'll, I'll 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 help but he was just like no no it's fine I just don't want to do it uh, which was true. um so I've I've got more interview with him than the than the official DVD that's in the thing which I think is is mad because I was you know I'm a nobody that just dropped him a line out of the blue Margot Hayho uh production AFM production uh, you know uh, put in a good word but you know it was not a professional venture that I was doing but anyway uh, thanks to John uh but who who has had a great career he directed produced you know Ruth Mendel mysteries and things like that and directed the BBC's War and Peace so you know he, he, he obviously although this is an early job for him he you know he's he's a director that knows his newest stuff um but that's not a guarantee that this would have been great because I think there are some directors at the beginning of their career who have illustrious careers who don't, you know, who's who the evidence of that is not necessarily in their, their work on Doctor Who. But I, I do like this. T- I love this sort of decayed, outlying buildings of, of this beautiful, jolly colony with its you know boarded up windows and it's and it's and it gives a it gives a chance for darkness and spookiness and um and we're going to get some clips i love this the clips so we actually there are such thing as macro look at that uh, i remember when i first saw this on the uh, the 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 the, the uh what, the, the ice warriors collection and they did a documentary uh, and it's nice and dark actually it's nicely lit that um I mean, the the the, the macro is not the most mobile of beasts, and uh, and 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 Michael Craze has to sort of gallantly not hit it with an axe, clearly. Um, uh, but thank goodness to the Australian censors for 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 cutting these bits because they just give us a little bit of moving picture of Macroterra, which is one of those handful of stories that we have no complete episodes of. Um, but I love this sequence with Ben and Polly and uh, that, that sort of rattly organ, uh, oppressive night music, Night of the Crabs, eh? There's a book called Night of the Crabs, Guy N. Smith. His daughter and son were at my school, actually, uh, my, my comp that I went to. But my we, we had the books already on our shelves. I remember being very excited by that. It's funny that, that terror is cut as well. Just uh, Polly being afraid is cut. There's another bit now, isn't there? There's another clip coming up. Oh, I love the fact that we can see it. And it's just, that's all it is. It's just them running into a claw. Um, but again, it's those glimpses. That I love the claw. I think the claw, the, it being a crab is fantastic because you can just have the solo claw. And, and because after, the, of course, there is only that one photo of the macro, but then that, that cine film turned up um, of, of that sort of short film that was done at... Uh, showcasing what was going on at Shawcraft and it looks like they're making more than one macro but it's 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 not it's it's because it's taken over various different times um it's it's still just the one macro model but I think there are extra claws so I think there's a one whole macro but I think there's a there's a couple of extra claws John when I interviewed him said he thought that they built more than one but I think he was I think he was mistaken um because he's certainly mistaken about uh something else that I will cover later um and that's the problem when you're interviewing people. Sometimes you have to make a judgment call and go, I think with the best will in the world, they, they, they might have made the wrong call on that one. Um, which I know is a very um, lofty position to take. Um, but sometimes you have to... You have to I'd, I'd, always want, I don't, and I'd always rather go to a primary source, which is people who were there at the time. But the fact is, 
that I love the way that uh, he does. There's no no such thing as macro repeating it. Like it's actually quite frightening. If you're a if if you're a, if the evil force at the heart of this colony, I love all that stuff. Trout does all that brilliant. But I love I, I, I love Ben's repetition. If you were a kid seeing lovely chirpy Cockney Ben repeating this mantra, there is no such thing as and 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 and, and uh, you know and betraying his friends. I actually think that's quite a creepy concept. And and the, and, the, and the removal of personality is quite a scary thing, and it buys into the whole veneer thing that it, that it has about you know um, that I that I that I eulogised about part one, and I I love this uh, this whole bit with the controller, but it's 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 really interesting because that picture of Graham Lehman as the controller being dragged off, he he doesn't have the really knackered old makeup job that he's got here, so obviously the publicity still was taken. That just one beautiful shot. Uh, is it one? It may, there may be a couple, but um, uh, and it's a brilliant. I love that publicity shot with the claw, but he doesn't look like this. So obviously, this is a reveal within within the episode that actually he's not the handsome, uh, uh, clean cut guy that you see with a slick back hair that you see in the in the propaganda picture. Um, he's this poor old geezer who quite what he's been doing. He's been playing chess with a macro or whatever. Um. And they sort of shove him in, uh, and, and there's nice stuff said there about the fact that he's a sort of, he's a puppet or whatever. But he does not look like that in in the publicity picture. He hasn't had the makeup job done yet. So that's quite a curious thing as well. So obviously the photos that they did take um, were, were, were done in something of a of a hurry. Here, Gert, grab an iron bar and look scared of an imaginary crab. Peter just looked like the main guest star. Boom. Uh, Graham, I'm not in makeup. Doesn't matter. Looks, I'm going to shove a claw at you. He's going, right, that's the photos done, guys. We're going to go away now. What about the crab? Um, and I love that, that of the, oh, the, the controller being pulled away by the crab is a brilliant thing. Uh, and I remember on having this on the soundtrack Uh and, and going, but when's the episode going to end? And it's when she shouts, oh, it's a claw. Um, I love that of the controller being pulled off. I think that's just a great Doctor Who image. I think it's a great Doctor Who moment. It's desperately horrific. And especially with all the sort of shouting going on around it, you know. Uh, uh, broadcast and propaganda voices uh, is Richard Beale. Oh, and of course, the macro is Robert Jewell uh, in, in his... Uh, uh, one of his last things he does for Doctor Who, yeah, uh, the original Dalek operator. Um, uh, so uh, that was episode two of the Macrotera. I really enjoyed that. I was, do you know what? I've been, I've been kind of worried about this one because I do find the uh, telesnap reconstructions hard, and they're obviously not not because there's anything wrong with them, just because I'm not watching an episode of Doctor Who. But also, they're inevitably episodes that I'm less familiar with because I can't just you know I haven't been able to sit down and watch the Macro Terra like I have you know most Doctor Who stories um uh but I think that's okay I'm st I still think there's there's plenty to say I haven't mentioned Graham Lehman yet so um I think my favorite thing of episode I think I'm gonna have to sort of encapsulate this in a few things I'm gonna say the the map the macro I mean the, the fact that they're a crab I think is great but it's the claw. I mean, it's the last word of the episode. The claw. It's a claw. It is. It's the claw. It's that image of the claw pulling the controller out, which is that first picture I saw. Humans with a prey and the chilling, the macro terror. Uh, and, 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 and 
the fact that you know some of those even though some of those extant shots that we have it's just you know the claw just coming into the picture and polly screaming and running away when you've got a giant crab who who i think is you know not as successful as he might be with a bit more money thrown at him and a bit more technical virtuosity at their disposal you know the 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 the, the glowy eye and the main shell of the thing it's a it's a brave stab but it's fairly from what we can see it's 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 uh it's fairly immobile but it's got those claws that uh, and and, that, and I know there are two spare claws, so that when uh, when somebody is surrounded by macro, you've got the whole beast, and then the oh, well, and I will talk about the macro beast, where that phrase comes from, uh, perhaps uh, in the next episode. Um, uh, but you know, you know, you've just got the the, the, the two claws being manipulated, um, and there is also an extra bit of macro goodness when we get to part four, and that's something that is only recently sort of been come to light thanks to a bit of archaeology uh, so this is what you know this is still a story we're discovering in a way because facts are so scant about it um, and why should that be sandwiched between you know the uh, 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 stories that we've you know we've got bits of and we've got production files of and all that sort of thing and this this is this little island of mysteriousness uh, in many ways although you know we have the soundtrack we have the telesnaps there are season three stories we don't have telesnaps for but I, I, I just love I think I think it's got to be the the macro the claw so the fact it's a crab the fact that they decide to have a Doc 2 story with a giant crab but but the claw it's the image of the claw i love the macro claw i suspect there's more meat in the claws um i suspect michael hasn't chosen the macro claw uh but let's i'm just going with what i think i'm not trying to play the game i'm just going with what i like uh i know what i like and i like what i know so what's michael chosen for episode two for my favorite thing of episode two I'm going to choose the structure of the story. Yes, yeah, that's much more intelligent. Each than episode of this story takes us somewhere new. Part one, we see outside the colony and the colony entrance. In this episode, the sleeping cubicles, the pilot's headquarters and the new build housing site. Episode three, the pit and the pit head. And episode four, the real control. Each episode advances us somewhere new within the colony, which keeps it visually fresh. Plenty of stories take us somewhere then leave us there for four episodes or more. By the end of episode one of the Moonbase, for example, we've seen pretty much everywhere we're going to see, but not here. Now, you need to do more than simply walk into a new room to keep us engaged, and episode two does that by effectively digging into the characters of the regulars, or at least Ben, by making him fall into the control of control. This is a really clever thing to do because we know the macra exist. We saw them at the end of episode one. We saw them at the end of the Moonbase episode four. They keep being dangled in front of us and then snatched back. So we've got the threat of them looming, which means we can go off and explore something else, which in this episode is Ben seeming to betray his friends. What's fascinating about this is that it has more plausibility than usual for when a character when a companion acts against character, as Ben, Polly and Jamie are quite an odd mix of people. Ben and Polly, a young, modish, mixed-sex couple, joining the series in the same story in swinging 1966 should be an item. That's what you'd expect. But they're not, wonderfully. And there's never that sense in the way we had with Barbara and Ian say that they ever will be. So theirs is an interesting dynamic. Add to that Jamie a relative newcomer who has started to upset the apple cart. 
Only a few weeks previously, in episode 3 of the Moonbase, he and Ben had actually squared up for a fight. Testosterone fueled and chippy, with Ben sounding petulant and jealous, as though Jamie might be supplanting him in Polly's affections. Both of them in control of their faculties, neither of them possessed or brainwashed, this is a very unusual way for companions to behave in pre-2005 Doctor Who. So when Ben becomes susceptible to control and starts acting against the others, it's not that he is intrinsically flawed, but that this is a TARDIS team that already has cracks, so the stakes are higher. Now, we don't really go any deeper than that. That's not how the programme was being made then, but it's a tantalising taste of something. And that's the flavour of this episode. It's that rare thing, I would say, in episode two that's better than the episode that preceded it because of how it's structured, which I think is my way of sneakily masking having chosen two things. I, I chose one thing, structure. The second thing does not exist. Oh, very good. But he covers two. Uh, I wouldn't have... I, I, I like the structure point. That's, uh, that's uh, something I would never have chosen because I, I don't think that's what sort of pops into my mind when I do these. I'm, I'm very spontaneous uh, about these. I, I have to sort of watch and do, whereas obviously the, the, my guests have chosen the story and they have a look and they're, they're, they're sort of, they, you know, they're, they're thinking about what they can say. They don't have to talk at the same time as they watch the episodes either. I'm not complaining. Um, I'm, I'm very sanguine about the, um, my, my, the almost impossibility for me to win this competition. Uh, it's just it's just a thing to hang the podcast on, isn't it? Um, and yeah, you did choose two things there, Michael, really, because 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 uh, Michael crazy's uh, being taken over and the dynamic between the companions is nothing to do with the structure that you invoked at the beginning of your uh, two minute fifty five second uh, choice. But uh, I'll let you have it because um, there were both things I didn't choose because I chose the claw. Um, and I don't mind. I think they all three were legitimate things, which just goes to show uh, what a good story the Macritera is. And I think it is a good story. I still don't quite have an angle on it because it's it's not the story I expected when I, as a kid, found out that there was a Doctor Who story about giant crabs. Um, and yes, I've heard it a few times um, and I've, I've watched the animation but it's still a story I feel I'm sort of discovering every time because it's not a story I know massively well and because it's a story that I think has lots of layers and has lots of and even as and I forget and every this even this that's just playing on the episode menu on the DVD these wonderful outside howls and 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 it also has an intangibility about it because no matter how good these telesnap recons are that you know they're, they're microseconds uh, of, 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 a, of a 25 minute episode so there's so much that we're missing so um, that's because there are sadly and I'll leave you on this lovely thought before uh, we meet again in episode 3 but there are currently sadly unless they're in a cupboard in Uganda somewhere no such thing as macro. Bye. You have been receiving subliminal treatment from Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock, who you must obey, and my guest, Michael Dennis, who is on Twitter at Michael underscore Dennis. 
I'm very grateful to patrons who include Jakob Lumley, Nate Lynch, Daryl McLean, Glenn McLeod, Pitt Maidley, Steve Manfred, Nick Mellish, James Miller, Justin E. Monaghan, Tom Neenan, Jeremiah O'Connor, Mark Trevor Owen, Russell Parker, Phil Pascoe, Richard Patey, Ken Patterson, Thomas Payne, John Pettigrew, Fnord Prefect, Liam Price, Corridors, Rachel T.S., Peter Reed, Paula Reynolds, Alec Rowan, Darren Rule, Gavin Rymill, and Tom Selinsky. Oh, and Robin Bland. The music for these podcasts is by Dave Gates, and the podcast artwork by Dylan Patterson. You too could join their number. In fact, uh, one of those people I've just credited has just, I think, cancelled. So you see, uh, they are not a sustainable resource. Uh, people cancel for any number of reasons. Uh, some have supported me for, for a while and want to uh, throw their cash elsewhere. And some have had their fill of all perfectly understandable reasons. But uh, it's just I only mention it uh, because uh, that means that list of people may sound impressive, but uh, oh, they're hanging, they're hanging on a precipice, and uh, and uh, various different reasons might cause them to fall off it. So um, please go to patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock, uh, and you can join for as little as three pounds a month. If you join for a year in advance, you get a ten percent discount on top of that, and patrons get advance releases bonus materials and all sorts of other goodies and you get three releases per week uh, whereas on itunes uh, there's usually two and also you're very very much further ahead on patreon i mean much further ahead four or five months if you're listening to this not on patreon some of the patrons who listened to this when it came out have probably died of old age and that's another reason to go to patreon.com forward slash toby haydock or if you don't favor the monthly thing or have too many obligations or for whatever reason but uh, you still would like to occasionally throw me the odd copper you can go to ko-fi.com forward slash toby haydock but the main thing and the thing i'm most grateful for well, I'm very grateful to you for listening. It's nice there's an audience out there. That's very flattering and kind of you. But if you do enjoy these, if you could go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and give these Toby Haydock's Time Travels a five-star rating and perhaps even a couple of lines of review because that just helps any passing stranger to be made more aware of what goes on here. And it means that my, my labours are not even... I'm not... Uh, I'm not beavering away here in a gas-filled mine um, uh, with, without the potential of getting clawed by... I'm going to stop now. Just just do the thing. Rate everything apart from the previous three sentences I've just said. Thank you very much. I do a comedy night in Manchester every Tuesday at Excess Malarkey at the Breadshed, 8pm, and that's a comedy club, Excess Malarkey, that has been going for 24 years, and I have compared it pretty much every Tuesday since then. That's a career trajectory. Now, geography may scupper your attendance, but there's a once-a-month once a uh, online version at twitch.tv forward slash Excess Malarkey. You could go to that instead, and you can follow me on Twitter at Toby Haydock, these podcasts at Haydock Podcasts, and indeed Excess Malarkey has a Twitter feed telling you all about the comedy delights that we will have on offer on a weekly basis at Excess Malarkey. That's the letter X, the letter S, and then Malarkey, M-A-L-A-R-K-E-Y. Okie dokie.
got a feeling I, re- I recorded uh, episode two after a bit of a gap after episode one. I've got a feeling I, I've have I ended both episodes with that there is no such thing as macro uh, sign off. Uh, well, it's such a good idea. <laughs> it's worth doing twice. Uh, the rest episodes three and four were recorded on the same night as episode two. So I think I, I don't think I re- repeat the joke that there is no such thing as that. There is no such thing joke. But you're glad you stayed for that.